Hello, everybody, and thank you very much for tuning in. We are one episode away from the big two zero. And I'm your host, John Roper, and if you've somehow gotten this far and you don't know, this is the podcast Roped In. Thank you very much for listening. As always, if this is your first time listening, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope I say the right things to make you come back for the next time. And if you are a repeat listener, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad I said the right things to make you come back this time. Uh, before I get into today's episode, I don't have many shout outs. I didn't do a crazy amount of sports roundup because that's a, a segment that I'll do on future episodes, but one that I do want to mention because it is a tournament that I can't say I was watching, but I was, I was following on YouTube and following the scores. Uh, but either way, congratulations, Australia. They shocked me and beat India in the ICC cricket world cup. India had an absolutely dominant performance throughout this world cup. And I thought they were going to not steam through Australia, but I thought they were going to win pretty easily. And yeah, no, Australia does it again. They, they, they win another championship and they, they beat India. But that's not going to be talked about on today's episode. The things that are, are I'm going to be mentioning some of my favorite Cinderella runs. So basically it's teams that nobody thought had a shot that kind of made a pretty big Cinderella run. Um... Also going to be talking about certain players or plays that created rule changes in at least the, the sports that I watch. And finally, going to be recapping the Formula One race that happened in Vegas this past weekend. What a show, what a race. Um, but yeah, those are the three things. Again, Cinderella runs, rule change from players, and that Formula One recap. So sit back, relax, and let's get right into it. So everybody loves a good Cinderella run. It's when there's a team, you know, that underdog, the David versus Goliath, but they're kind of the David every single match of the playoffs. But they've they've worked their way through and they've they've beat everybody that they shouldn't have beat. Um, some of the ones that I'm going to be talking about, they didn't actually win the entire thing. Um, some of the ones I am going to be talking about, they did. Um, but again, these aren't necessarily the greatest or, or some of the biggest underdogs, but these are my favorite Cinderella runs. So where I'm going to start it off with is a team that you guys know that I love. It's the Miami Heat. And they've had, in my mind, two of my favorite Cinderella runs in the past five years in the NBA postseason. So the first one was that 2019-2020 playoffs. Now, for those of you that don't know, that was the during COVID playoffs. It was the bubble playoffs. Now, a lot of people count this playoffs out. I'm not going to get into that too much, but I will personally say I don't count it out too much. Um, I do understand fans play a factor when you take the fans out of it like they did in COVID and there was completely different playing conditions, not on their home court. It does make it different. I get that. One of the things that I say is I also see it as take the fans out of it and make them play on neutral ground. Who's actually just the best baller? Um, another thing that I kind of give it to where... where I do stand on the side of giving legitimacy. Uh, I don't think there should be an asterisk next to it. Is everybody had the the same odds and the same fairness, the same conditions. Nobody was treated differently or had different practice, different routines. Everybody had the same access to things during this COVID bubble down there in the Universal Studios. So, again... I give legitimacy to it. I, I do understand the argument to people that don't, so don't bash on me too much. I do get it. But I'm just on the side of, if everybody has a fair shot, a championship is a championship to me. 
Um, again, part of me, why I'm saying I'm biased to this is the Miami Heat were in that playoffs and, and they went on an amazing run. So this is when Jimmy Butler kind of really showed his dominance in that Heat uniform. Not that he hadn't before, but he really showed that, dang, he can he can carry a team and this boy just needs one, two more pieces of help and, and they're going to be a dominant team. Uh, either way, they were one of the 22 teams invited to this COVID bubble. Um, where, if I'm correct, they played around seven games, um, and then they made it into the playoffs. Either way, the, the Heat didn't make the playoffs as a fifth seed, and they swept the Pacers. One of the things that, that made this is the Heat, again, were the fifth seed, so the Pacers were the fourth seed. They're an underdog. They sweep the Pacers for nothing. Uh, Pacers weren't a great team. However, TJ Warren in the bubble absolutely went off. So I'm not going to say it was an easy series, but for nothing also doesn't mean it was hard. Then they go on and they beat Giannis and the Bucks. So Giannis and the Bucks were actually the first seed. So again, it's a fifth seed underdog against the first seed. They beat the Bucks. Um, Giannis, if I'm correct, was injured in Game Five. Either way, Miami Heat had that one in the bag. I think they were going to win regardless of whether Giannis came back or not. Then they move on to the Eastern Conference Finals and they beat the Celtics in six. One of the ones that I I very much vividly remember is. Bam Adebayo's block on Jason Tatum in Game 6. He blocked the dunk. At least I think it was Game 6. Maybe I don't vividly remember it that much. But it definitely was a huge block towards the end of a game that caused Miami to win. Huge, again, Bam Adebayo on Jason Tatum. Amazing block. Uh, But again, they beat the Celtics in 6 to move on to the LA, I mean, to the finals. I just heard myself say it. I've probably said it a bunch of times this episode. Guys, I'm going to try and stop saying, but again. Um, again, it's, it's, it reminds me of that episode of, um, is it how I met your mother where Robin Scherbatsky says, but um, and all the kids drink, but um, uh, so maybe the first few episodes here, maybe a, a college college group is going to find this and is going to blow up and people are going to drink to my butt agains, but I'm going to try and, and take that out of there. Um, or maybe I'll do what she says and go, but again, but again, but again, but again, but again, um, for those of you that watch how I met your mother, you will get that. But either way, we're, we're going on to the, the finals for Miami Heat, and we lose to the Lakers in six. This was the LeBron James, Anthony Davis-led Lakers, and I think at this point, Jimmy Butler was just physically exhausted. Again, he had, don't get me wrong, he had help. Goran Dragic was playing pretty good. Uh, Jay Crowder was a really, really good role player on that team that year. Andre Iguodala had the experience from the Golden State Warriors days, so he was a good addition. Um, Gabe Vincent was on his first year grant. He didn't play, but he was on the roster. <laughs> um, again, Goran Dragic played pretty good. So it's not like he, he didn't have help, but Jimmy Butler definitely carried that team. He definitely had the performances that without him, they would have lost in every single round if he didn't play some amazing games, but he just couldn't do it against the Lakers. They end up winning in six. I'm also going to move on and stick with the Miami Heat, and we're moving on actually to the 2022-2023 playoffs. So the one that recently just happened, and why I absolutely love it, is seven players were undrafted. They were, I think, a ninth seed and made it into the play-in and made it all the way to the playoffs. So again, it's a huge underdog. The first time ever that a play-in tournament team has ever won a playoff series, let alone made it to the finals. So again, we'll do a bit of a quicker recap because I'm kind of realizing this is going a little longer than I wanted it to, to spend time on each individual one at least. Um, So again, we were the 9 seed, Hawks were the 8 seed, we lose to them, but how the playing works is the 8 seed plays the 9 seed, 
seven please plays seven seed plays the ten seed. Whoever wins the yes, so the the two teams that win it, the higher seed of those two teams go to seven. So in this situation, the Hawks were the eight seed, the Miami Heat were the nine seed. The Hawks beat the Heat. The seven seed lost to the Bulls as the ten seed. Therefore, the winning teams were the seven seed. I mean, sorry, the eight seed Hawks and the ten seed Bulls. Therefore, the highest seed was the Hawks, and they made it as the seven seed. Then there was a final showdown between the Bulls, who were the ten seed, and the Heat, who were the nine seed. Heat ended up winning that, and they make it as the eight seed. So they're eight seed in the playoffs, and they beat the Bucks in five. So Bucks again are the number one seed. Granted, Giannis was injured in this play in this playoffs, but they beat the Bucks in five. Then they move on to the round two. They beat the, the Knicks in six. They were then the second eight seed ever to make the conference finals, if I'm correct. But again, they beat the Knicks in six. Now, they then go up 3 nothing to the Celtics. I'm super stoked because, as you guys know, I hate the Celtics. But they almost blew it. Celtics come back, force a game seven, but Miami wins it. Then we move on to Denver, and Denver was just an unformidable force in last year's playoffs, and I think they're going to be you know, I don't know who's going to necessarily stop them this year, but who knows? Maybe injuries or we're going to see something that, that, that we find a way to beat them. But the Nuggets were nearly unstoppable, but they weren't fully unstoppable. They beat us in five. Again, what made this amazing is we were a nine seed, then became an eight seed. Seven of our players were undrafted, but Gabe Vincent, Max Drews, Caleb Martin, and Duncan Robinson all actually performed really well and had performances that, that again, without them, we wouldn't have won. So that's super amazing, and, and Jimmy Butler was, again, just a super beast. So those are my two basketball Cinderella runs. Actually, they're not my two ones, but they're the two ones that I'm really going to explain. Another one that I'm going to move on, because it was one that I I absolutely loved watching, and it was the 2015-2016 Leicester City Foxes Premier League title. So I'm going to say, for those of you who don't know who Leicester City is, they are a team that plays in the Premier League or... Yes. Um, and in 2015-2016, they had 5,000 to 1 odds to win the title. So, for those of you who don't fully know betting and don't fully know odds, I'm not going to talk about money, but I'm going to put the odds into perspective. In 2015-2016, you had a 1 in 8 chance of getting the flu. In 2015-2016, you had a 1 in 500 chance of being born with an extra finger or a toe. There was a 1 in 2,000 chance that you lost a limb that year. So, you know, like a, a yeah, you know what a limb is. So, again, 5,000 to 1 is what Leicester City was and 1 in 2,000. So, 2,000 to 1, you lose a freaking limb. That's how bad these You could lose two limbs before Leicester City was going to win the title. Uh, you know, maybe those odds are different because then odds change when you lose two. Um, funny enough... Also in 2015-2016 for those sports fans was Luis Suarez is just, I'm going to bite everyone here. So there was also a 1 in 2,000 chance that if you played against Suarez, you were going to get bit. So that's still drastically lower than the Leicester City odds. Finally, there was a 1 in 4,000 chance of the Earth getting hit by an asteroid. And then to round it all out, there was a 1 in 5,000 chance that Leicester City was going to win this Premier League. Now, 
this I can't say I I knew much about them going into the league, but when they won, I I loved their team. They had Casper Schmeichel, who was the Danish goalkeeper. Wes Morgan, the Jamaican defender, was amazing. Ben Chilwell, who's their left back, who now plays on Chelsea, my favorite team. And Golo Kante, who also made a way over to Chelsea, my favorite team. Now he's over in Saudi. He went for the money, but I don't blame him. He had a great career in Chelsea. Riyad Mahrez was a great player. He then went on to play for Man City. Now I also think he's in Saudi. Jamie Vardy, I actually bought his jersey. One, because I want to remember that season. Two, it was just absolutely amazing to see what Jamie Vardy did that year. I think he broke the scoring record. It was just super amazing. Jamie Vardy, Leicester City in that 2015-2016 season, scored 81 points in a 5,000-1 odd season to win it, and won it. Now, what also makes this amazing, there's 38 games in the season. So it's not like you just make it into the playoffs and you kind of win six games in a row and you just you were hot at the right time. 38 games, and, and whoever had the most points at the end of it, there's three points for a win, one point for a draw, no points for a loss. For those that don't know, 38 games, whoever has the most points wins. Leicester City won it at 5,000 to 1 odds. Absolutely amazing. Another soccer one that I, I can't say I vividly remember, but I, I do remember it being a huge one um, when I was growing up, um, and it was the 2004 Greek national soccer team winning the 2004 Euros. So, where this all started, I can't say I'm going to remember their team very much. There are a bunch of Greek names that, one, are confusing to remember to me, who's not very familiar with Greek names. No offense to the Greek names, but it's I'm sure if you had a, a culture of names that you weren't familiar with, the names would be difficult to remember as well. So, not that they're difficult to remember, but I, I don't know who's who. It was 2004, I was 11 years old. Give me a break, guys. But, what did happen is, I do remember they beat Portugal in the opening week. Now, Portugal were the hosts of the Euros, and Greece beat them in the opening week, and that was a huge shocker. They also tied to Spain, who was in their group in round two, um, and they actually shocked the world and made it through to the knockout stages. Um, it was Portugal and Greece that made it through, and again, they knocked out Spain, which which shocked the world. Um, then when they make it into the knockout stages, the defense just went off, and they, you know what, they... I can't say they did the bare minimum, but they, they did what they had to to win. So in the first round, they won 1-0 to France. Uh, France were the defending champions, and they were undefeated during this Euro run so far in their group stages. And again, they lost. Greece defense held out, and they, they snuck in one goal. Then they move on to the second round, and yet again, the defense holds tough, and they beat the Czech Republic 1-0 again. So the Czech Republic were, again, undefeated and were the undisputed favorites heading into this match. Again, that Greece defense held tough, sneaked in one goal. They move on to the finals. Now it's the rematch against Portugal. Again, it's the host nation Portugal. They're probably not too happy about losing that first round match. Greece says, we don't care. Our defense is amazing. They stand tight again. Guess what, guys? They sneak in one goal and win it one nothing. So there you have it. They had three rounds, three goals, but gave up none and won the 2004 Euros and were just huge underdogs. It was so amazing to watch. Um, I'm not going to necessarily dive into a, a recap of these next ones, but other big ones that were some of my favorites were... I didn't know much about it until the movie came out, to be honest with you. There's a movie called Glory Road. But the 1966 Texas Western Miners basketball team... 
in my eyes nowadays they wouldn't necessarily at all be viewed as underdogs but back in the day i'm gonna say the racism card was a factor there um where they were for those that don't know they were the first ncaa team to win a title starting five african-american players to be honest with you they actually only played african-american players if the movie is correct to the story again i can't say i've done my entire research on it but they played seven african-american players against kentucky and they won the NCAA Finals. Um, huge underdogs because, again, as racism was around back in 1960s, um, they weren't viewed as champions at all. The 2004 Detroit Pistons have come up a bunch of times on my podcast. In my eyes, they had a good Cinderella run, mainly in just a few series through the playoffs, and especially against that Lakers team. They should not have won that Finals, and they did. So the 2004 Pistons are a bit of a Cinderella team. The NCAA March Madness always seems to produce his Cinderellas. Um, some of my favorites, uh, Florida Gulf Coast in, I think it was 2013. So they were a 15 seed. They made it to a sweet 16. But they were just so fun to watch because they had so many dunks. They, they, were, they were a highlight reel every time they stepped on the court. So, again, it's just so fun. I, I love that Florida Gulf Coast team. The other one that, you know, it, it comes up every year when I'm watching the SPs because they have the award for Jimmy V, Jimmy Valvano. Um, but the NC State Wolfpack, y- you can't count them out. You know, they had 10 losses that year, so they, they really weren't going into the playoffs as, as favorites. But they, they won the a- ACC tournament, which brought them into the NCAA tournament. Um, and in the finals, they actually beat Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon on that Houston-led team. Um which was pretty crazy of a, of a college team. And uh, yeah, again, NC State Wolfpack, led by Jimmy Valvano, won the college championship. So there you have it. Those are some of my favorite um, Cinderella runs. Uh, let me know. Comment on my Instagram page, Roped in the Podcast. Let me know what some of your favorite Cinderella runs are or if you think I'm just being way too biased on some of mine. Um, but either way, there you have it. Those are my Cinderella runs. So for those of you that have followed sports throughout the history and and not necessarily in depth, but have kind of followed the rule changes and just certain stars and certain big moments throughout the the leagues and histories, again, mainly the North American leagues as that's mainly what my podcast talks about. That's mainly the sports that I watch. Um, But again, those of you that have done that, ah, there it is. I said it again. I said, but again, Um, we are talking about players that have done pretty crazy things or just certain plays that have then affected rule changes in their league. So where I'm going to start is basketball, one of my favorite sports, and if not the one that I probably have the most knowledge in. And the player we're going to start with is Wilt Chamberlain, who doesn't come up enough in the GOAT conversation. So one of my friends, Greg Manzen, gave me a suggestion to talk about players that maybe are snubs in certain awards or should be in GOAT conversations that aren't. Either way, Wilt Chamberlain is potentially one of those people, but he's affected quite a bit of rules. Um, So we're going to go through them. The first one is that I know at least are, maybe these are just some of them. I don't know all of them, but one of them is shooters when they're shooting a free throw cannot cross the line before the ball hits the rim. Basically what he used to do as the free throw line is they needed points or he just knew he wasn't going to hit it. 
is he'd just lob it off the backboard. He was bigger than everybody else. He as soon as he'd lob it, he'd run in, catch it, dunk it. It was it was kind of a cheat code. Certain things that I'm learning through these rule changes are making me realize why the guy scored 100 points. Either way, we're going through it again. So shooters can't cross the free throw line before the ball hits the rim now. So that's now actually where you see certain amazing plays on on ones where you need to get three points. You're fouled. You go to the free throw line. You make the first one. You dart it off the rim to get the rebound. So you have to hit the rim for it to get the rebound. Um, yeah, again, that's the rule change from Will Chamberlain. Another one, and I think this was also changed by somebody else when I was doing my research, and I cannot remember the name now, but I'm sure a couple of big men ha- had a, a factor in this one. But they, they had to widen the paint from 12 feet to 16 feet to basically get these people further away from the paint because they were just too dominant and too big. Another one that Wilt Chamberlain affected was the offensive goaltending. Basically, again, this is where I'm realizing how he scored 100 points. When his teammates shot the ball... I guess he would just catch it on the way and, and score it. Whether it was going in or not, he would just he would catch it on the way and, and score it when it was above the rim. So that's where the rule change came to. If the ball's above the rim, you can't catch it and score it. That that's that's not that's not it. Or you, you've got to let the ball do its thing, basically, because um, that's unfair to the defender um, and just overall unfair to the stats and scoring of the game. <laughs> Another one that Will Chamberlain had an effect on was you now cannot inbound directly behind the backboard and sh- like throw it over the backboard kind of thing. Sorry, so you can't like lob it over the backboard for a big man just to catch it, alley oop it, and dunk it. Uh, there's still plays where people do it from the side and throw it in. I remember, uh, shout out to my college days, my college basketball coach, uh, Father Voorhees, Jonathan Voorhees, an amazing play that he had. It was me and my power forward, my teammate, Brian Knapp. Shout out to you. You'll probably never listen to this because we don't really talk too much anymore, but he was my power forward and my big man uh, mate. So he would stand in front and I would stand directly behind him so there really couldn't be a defender. He was a big man too. Uh, And basically, the guy would lob it up. I would jump. Brian Knapp would just stand there as a big boy. I would catch the ball and I wouldn't necessarily dunk it, but I would just lob it in. Um, I think one time I maybe dunked it and it was huge. Most of the times I would just lob it in, but again, they stopped that ability, but again, ah, I'm saying, but again, too many times. So nowadays you can throw it in from the side. Other basketball players that have affected rule changes, Reggie Miller used to shoot and kick his leg out while shooting so the defender would kind of run into his leg and then he would get hit with a defensive foul. So Reggie Miller would be shooting free throws. One, if his shot went in, because you don't really get affected with a after shot leg kick in my eyes too much and two you would get three free throws if it didn't go in uh so that was a huge one that reggie miller did Shaq affected two one wasn't necessarily a rule change but they really had to embrace backboards because that man was breaking too many of them but one that they did have to change was the hack shack so basically what teams would do is they would just foul Shaq right away whether he had the ball or not they would foul Shaq to send him to the free throw line because he was not a good free throw shooter so what the NBA had to institute was, if you're going to foul a guy who doesn't have the ball and is not part of the play, sorry, not part of the play, if he doesn't have the ball, uh, then that guy gets to take a free throw and their team gets to possession again and gets to basically start over. So you basically get a free throw and starting all over again. So it really... Scared teams, not scared teams. I don't know what they're looking for. I suck at the English language. It... it 
disencouraged people from from hacking a shack. <laughs> Ron Artest got so many technical fouls that that now there's a rule where if you get 60 technical fouls in a season, you're ejected or suspended for a game. Uh, Draymond Green is now basically testing that season in and season out. Uh, and finally, another big one that I hate is the Harden rule. Sorry, I love the Harden rule, but I hate James Harden. Um, so basically what he used to do, uh, other players around the league would too, but he abused the living heck out of it. And that's why he scored so many points in my eyes. Not that he's not a great player. I give him his respect. He did change the game. He's a great three point shooter. You know, he took advantage of the rules and he did what he could, but I found it cheap. So what he would do is he would pump fake or he would just do certain things, but he would be the one that would jump and lean into the defensive player to create the contact and get the defensive foul. So he would shoot free throws. Didn't like it. NBA didn't like it either. They're going away from it. They're getting a lot better at calling it. So again, if the offensive player is the one that initiates the contact, well, you're the one that made your shot hard. So sucks if it lose if it doesn't go in. Now we'll get away a little bit from basketball. Actually, no, sticking on basketball. And you know what? I'm not. There's one that I'm going to mention. But it's going to be later on for a certain reason. Moving on from basketball. Uh, well, actually, sticking with basketball. Sorry, going all over the place. Sticking with basketball, but moving to college. Lou Alcindor is, at least he is crediting himself and most people credit him too, that he actually banned dunking in the NCAA and it was banned from the 67 season to the 77 season. Now that sounds crazy, but it actually happened, ladies and gentlemen. You were not allowed to dunk in college basketball because there was a certain player or players that just abused it. Moving on to golf. Uh, this one didn't actually affect the star, so this was more of a funny rule. It affected other players, but there were not necessarily a Tiger rule, but golf courses realized that Tiger Woods was just too good at golf, and they tried to make their course harder, adding trees, longer fairways, narrower fairways, making it harder for him to win. Yeah, it, I guess, made it harder for him, but don't get me wrong, because he was the best player, if you make it hard for the best player, you're making it even harder for the player that's not as good as him. So what I'm trying to say is the rest of the field who is not as good as Tiger, in my eyes, was way more affected by the golf courses doing this than he ever was. So that's why I find it funny is it affected the other golfers more than it affected Tiger, but the golf courses were doing it to try and affect Tiger. The one that I know about hockey is Martin Brodor. So he was a good stick handler. Um, he basically acted as a third defenseman, uh, and NHL didn't like that. So they kind of limited where goalkeepers can be puck handlers and stick handlers, and it, it narrowed his abilities a lot, which I know he didn't like. I understand his gripe. As a goalkeeper, you're training your entire life, um, and then they just take something away because it's good at it. Um, you know what? That's where I'm actually recapping a lot of this. They took the play away because he was good at it. The reason why I'm bringing this podcast segment up. So this is one that's been in talk. So I'll mention it here. It's not a change that actually happened. Uh, but a bit of an intermission through it all is the Philadelphia Eagles brotherly shove or tush push. Some people are saying should be banned. In my eyes, not their fault. They're good at it. Yeah, the players will eventually move on. Defensers, defensers, defensive scouts will figure out either how to stop it. Or the players will retire. Jason Kelsey's not going to be there forever. Jalen Hurts can't squat that much forever. He he will deteriorate in the legs. So I don't think you need to ban it. I think they've just got right got the right certain players. They've got the right package. Their, their offensive coordinator knew what he was doing. And they, they put it together pretty well. So what 
sparked this entire segment is they're thinking about banning that, and I don't think they should. I don't think that should be a rule change. Figure out how to stop it. And if you can't stop it, I mean, it's not like a lot of people are dominating. Like, it's not against the rules. It's just you're good at a certain play. Um, however, where some people are saying is it's just it's not pretty. It's not the nature of football. It's not how football was to be played. I don't care if it's not how football will be played. I know I'm biased. I'm an Eagles fan, but it's within the rules. It's a football play. They're they're running a play. They have one or two yards to go. They have guys that can push the ball really hard with their legs and squat forward and push guys in front of them, and they're doing it. But where that's leading to in terms of the the nature of play is in cricket. I think it was like in the 1930s. Um, Australia petitioned against England because they were playing in a game. Might have been in the in the World Cup. And England started to bowl around the leg stump. I'm not going to get into it for those that don't fully know cricket. Those that do, you'll understand this. But England was bowling around the leg stump to Australia. It was fully in the rules. But Australia said it went against the spirit of the game. And it ended up being a rule change in cricket. Other sports that we're getting to. uh, Actually, you know, it's really just one sport. It's football. So there's three that I kind of mainly know. Um, one is the Tom Brady tuck rule. So one that does make sense to me, kind of in a way, is if you're a offensive quarterback, you can't be a defensive quarterback. If you're a quarterback and you are attempting a throw, so the ball is going forward, and then the defensive player knocks it out of your hands, that's just an incomplete pass. To me, that one somewhat makes sense because it's you know you're, you're trying to pass at that point. I also see the argument if it hasn't left your hands yet, so technically it's in your possession if the guy knocks it out. How is that not a fumble? That's kind of like a steal. But I somewhat see the argument as well. Your ball's moving forward. But where it comes to is Tom Brady was playing against the Oakland Raiders. And he then started to tuck the ball in when I think it was Woodson or somebody tackled him, smacked the ball out. And everybody thought it should have been a fumble, but it was not a fumble. And what the tuck rule was, was because he was trying to tuck the ball in, it was therefore like now a dead play like he was trying to kill the play um so i hate tom brady i hate the patriots they made a stupid ass rule the other one that i hate this team but it it shouldn't have happened to them was the the des bryant catch so i don't know the year but it was a des bryant catch against green bay so if you want to do it do des bryant catch first green bay and i guarantee you it's going to be the catch i'm talking about but it changed the rules so what happened is he caught the ball had possession fell to the ground Hit the, like, hit the ground with the ball, and the ball popped out of his hand. Now, for those of you that don't know, in football, when you catch the ball and land with two feet, you then got possession of the football. Again, if you ever watch this play, you will see the guy had possession. It was he, he caught it, and it was his. Then when he hit the ground, the ball popped out. Then they ruled it a fumble. Now, three years later, they changed this away and said, no, 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 no. It should be a catch that's going to be a catch going forward. And it's still a catch in today's football, but it doesn't change the fact that it wasn't it. And Des Bryant, unfortunately, had to have that play happen for the rule to change. And finally, the last rule change that I'll mention is sticking with football, a horse collar. I can't say there's a specific player that abused this, but what defensive players were doing is, as they were trying to catch up or behind the offensive player with the ball, they'd grab their shoulder pads. For those that don't fully know the football uniform, uh, I'm not going to fully dive into it, but you've got shoulder pads that go around, obviously, your your neck and your shoulders. So if you grab it from behind, it's 
kind of choking you and it, it makes you fall in a very awkward position. It's, it's not enjoyable. It caused a lot of injuries. Therefore, NFL said, no, no, we're going away from this. We're banning this. Now, I know I said that was my last one. I'm not going to mention all the different ones. Ones that I hate are all the quarterback changes, again, that the NFL is doing. These aren't certain players or certain plays that have done it. It's just stupid that quarterbacks can't be touched in the NFL. But that's where I'm going to leave it. Those are some of the rule changes that I know and some of the ones that uh, I wanted to kind of teach you guys about that that changed because a certain player was either just too good um, or people were too dangerous at doing a certain thing. Um, and therefore, a rule had to be changed like the horse collar or or even Bruce Bowen in basketball. He would get under defenders when they would shoot. He would get under them so they would land on him and potentially roll an ankle. Nope, that's now not a thing you can do. So again, those are rule changes that are affected by players or plays. And finally, the Vegas Show! Guys, that's my Bruce Buffer. It was pretty bad. Um, but yes, the Vegas Show. The the Formula One race this weekend was in Vegas. The first time in, in a very long time in my eyes. At least since I've been alive. Um, or I've <laughs> been following Formula One. I, I don't know my history that much. Uh, but again, it's... Ah, stop saying it, John. We're, we're going to Las Vegas where, where they've hosted the Formula One. Now, I was very excited when this first happened because it was it was the race under the lights, down the strips, big lights in Vegas. They're going to put on a good show. Then leading up to it, you certain things that, that the Vegas locals and, and even tourists that were going to Vegas, I don't think that the planning of the setup was well executed, to be put, it, to be put blunt. Um, it was an absolutely crazy show, and I don't think many of the racers like a show as you've seen in, in many of the seasons that, that the American was done. I think Miami did the, the biggest show before this. Players hated that one. Um, really hated this one again. Max Verstappen was super vocal for those of you that don't know. Do, 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 do. Max Verstappen. Hated it. Absolutely hated the show. Um, so I also didn't like the show, but I did like the race. I didn't like the pre-race show where they were doing as what some people called like the Hunger Games lead up to it. Uh, and then it was really funny uh, as I tried to do my Bruce Buffer uh, impression, impersonation. Uh, he did that with Sergio Perez. Um, he was like, Sergio, Checo, Perez. And it was just so funny because then Checo just stood there on the on the track and was like, yeah, like I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to do here, guys. Like, this is awkward. I don't like this. This doesn't make sense. We don't do this in Mexico. I just want to get in a car and race. Um, but yeah, again, there's there's a lot of things about the show that I could dissect, but I'm not fully going to. Again, I didn't like the show that Vegas put on because I maybe call me old school. I I, I like the, the the traditional Formula One stuff. Not that I don't like a show. I don't like the level of the show the Formula One did. They could tone it down a little bit, not go. But it, then again, it's Vegas. They got to go big. You know, it, it is Vegas. It's a Vegas show. Maybe it makes more sense for Vegas to do than what Miami did. But again, stop saying, but again, John, we're going to be talking about moving kind of through the qualifiers to the races, but not breakdowns like I've done before. We're more just kind of going to be briefly going through because I just want to give my thoughts on the race, not necessarily a breakdown because you can just go to the website for it anyway. So in qualifying one, 
sorry, not qualifying one. It's actually, we're going to start with practice was the first big thing that I remember. There was a loose drain hole cover, which one of the drivers drove over or, or did something kind of knocked off place. And then about 10 minutes into it, uh, Carlos Sainz destroys the undercarriage of his car. Red flag happens because they've now got to redo all the drain pipes on the track and like re-weld them and everything. Practice one gets done. Not much else happens in practice. Again, I don't really look into practice too much because it's just teams figuring out how they're going to get around the track, especially a new one this year. So we're moving on to qualifying, and the things that I really remember from the first qualifying sector is McLaren had a very unfortunate showing. As you know, McLaren's my favorite team, and Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri both got knocked out in this one. Other players that got knocked out, players, racers that got knocked out were Esteban Ocan, Joel Guanyu, and Yuki Sonoda. Uh, again, Yuki Sonoda and Joel Guanyu don't overly surprise me. Esteban Ocon has had his unfortunate performances, but I was surprised, and I think a lot of other people were, of seeing both McLarens. Let alone, I mean, sorry, one McLaren, let alone both, knocked out of the qualifying and qualifier one. Then we're moving on to qualifier two. The other surprising people that got knocked out of this one were Hamilton and Perez. So Hamilton was caught on the radio saying, sorry boys, just couldn't go faster. If I'm correct, I think he finished 11th, but he, he couldn't qualify. He, he just barely got knocked out. He, he couldn't do it, which surprised me because Mercedes is having a pretty good season. I thought Hamilton was going to get into that Q3 and, and not be battling for pole, but be in Q3. The other one that surprised me was Perez got knocked out. So Perez was sitting in his garage. He didn't even put a lap out there to, to kind of really finish it and put in a, a final one to go. And he got knocked out of Q2. So Hamilton and Perez were the two big names. Joining them were Nico Hülkenberg, Danny Ricardo, and the guy I hate, Lance Stroll. Sorry, Lance Stroll, if you ever listen to this. I, I don't know you. You could be a very nice guy. From what I have seen in my unexpertise opinion... I don't think you you deserve to, to have a seat anymore. I think another person should try. And if they can't perform, they get your seat back. You, you do deserve to be in a practice. I mean, you, you are a good racer. Why am I preaching to you? You're never going to listen to this. Uh, Q3, we had Leclerc and Sainz finish 1 and 2. And then Verstappen finished 3. However, Sainz had, penal- had an engine penalty and finished 12th. Which then pushed... Uh, the different people up in the top three, and Williams actually finished fifth and sixth, which was the huge surprising one to me in that Q3 sector. Now we're moving on to the race, and a bit of my recap is I'm not the the biggest Max Verstappen fan. I give him the respect for the the dominance that he's performed, but turn one, he did a just a jackass move. He completely cut off Max Leclerc in my eyes, and I mean, you could say what you want to say, I think he kind of knew what he was doing. He probably effed up a bit too late on the break himself, which is why he ran off. But I think he went too aggressive into the corner thinking Leclerc was going to back out. Leclerc knew he had the position. It was Leclerc's position to take. And Verstappen ran them both off the track. Either way, they did work their way back up there. However, because of this stupid egregious move that I think Leclerc should have had to get that position back. I'm not saying Max wouldn't have retaken the position, but the right thing to do was give Leclerc the position back. They didn't. They just gave Max a five-second penalty, which for those of you that have watched Formula 1 or have listened to my segments before, a five-second penalty to Max Verstappen is like a slap on the wrist for stealing a diamond. Uh, 
It's like it, it doesn't like it's it's not going to stop somebody from doing it again. It makes it it's nothing. Other big things that happened in the race early on. Lando crashed on around lap three. He's my favorite racer. He was out, which caused safety car. There were some more safety cars that happened in this race. Um, and and the other exciting thing, you know, I, I dozed out here and there. It was super late. It was from like 10 till midnight here in Victoria. Um, and I was pretty tired from work. So, you know, I, I, I didn't pay attention through the whole thing. But I do remember the end of the race where Leclerc and Checo just had an amazing battle towards the last few laps. And Leclerc, on the very last lap, took second place. And, and then, again, came in behind Ch- uh, Verstappen. Not to say the penalty would have changed things, but again, I would have liked to have seen the position given back to Leclerc and seen how the race would have gone because it was a narrow track. And why I said I hated the show but I liked the track is is it, it, it did create good racing. You know, Verstappen didn't win by 30 seconds. Um, so it, it allowed for good racing and, and I, I did like the Vegas track. I do think that over their next 10 year contract, they're going to figure out how to set it up better and make it work for the city of Vegas money wise. But you know, it's, it's just one where year one, they, they couldn't figure out the show. They tried to go too big too Vegasy, and formula one is not a Vegas event. Um, I think drive to survive has, has influenced it more than it needed to be. Uh, but I'm not going to get into that too much. Uh, things that I did want to mention was I remember finishing the race, watching it, seeing how it was interesting watching the the, the drive. I actually like this, and I hope they, they do it a little bit more. The drive from the, the finish where the three – actually, you know, they kind of do it where they show it in the room. The three podium people drove from the finals to the where they were going to get interviewed. I didn't mention it. Verstappen, Leclerc, and Checo, one, two, three. You probably could have guessed that from the stories that I said, but that is the one, two, three. So they were driving in the car, and that is where Leclerc learned that the two Red Bulls actually pitted again under one of the later safety cars to get fresher tires. So Leclerc actually didn't do that. He didn't pit because he didn't know if the Red Bulls were going to do it, and he didn't want to pit and lose the position because I think at that point he was first. Then... Again, the Red Bulls did pit. They did go for those fresher tires. Verstappen took him. Checo also took him. It's just Leclerc raced really well and, and, and retook the position back in second. So that was the, the really good one. Uh, Checo, after this all, secured second position in the Drivers' Championship. So Red Bull won the championship. They've got the best racer. They've got the second best racer. Um, good job, Red Bull. Good job, Checo. I like you more than Verstappen, but I give the respect to Verstappen. The other exciting thing that I'm going to be watching going into the last weekend of this season is McLaren versus Aston. Aston Martin. There's only 11 points separating them for fourth, and I believe there's like an $11 million difference of what the payout's going to be if you come fourth. So it's going to be a big battle. Both those teams are kind of finishing around the same position. In this one, it was Oscar Piastri who pushed his way up into the points category. So I absolutely loved watching Oscar do that. And Alonso also got into the points for uh, Aston Martin. Again, my final take on it all. Hated the show, but overall, good track, led to good racing. And after it all, I, I did like the race, didn't like the land and got crashed, but was a good race, good racing at the end, and, and, and an exciting last lap to me.
Thank you all very much for listening to yet again another episode of Roped In. I am so sorry for all the but-agains that I keep dropping. I'm going to work on that, and then I'm sorry for, you know, almost going like Tourette Syndrome and like shouting at myself every time I do say but-again. It's going to get better. I do promise that. Thank you very much for listening. I don't have too much to get into. Uh, again, another exciting thing that I didn't get distracted for is the Eagles don't play until Monday night. Big game against the Chiefs. Go Eagles. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles! But I'm not going to tell you guys up too much longer. I don't got sports news. I don't got a roundup to get into. I want you guys to enjoy your day. Enjoy your night. Whenever you're listening to this, enjoy your morning. As always, Hakuna Matata.